0: Thanks for joining us for another message from Southland Church. If you'd like any information about our church, check out our website at mysouthland.com. So I wanna jump right into the message here and I'm gonna talk about prayer because we're in the month of prayer and fasting, but I'm gonna start with a verse that's very special to me. And I wanna encourage you, as we read scripture this morning, to actually lean in when we read scripture. I, I think we have this habit Whenever scripture is read, especially if we've been a Christian for a long time, we have this habit to actually sometimes kind of, you know, take a break, a mental drift while we're listening to scripture. And then we, you know, we kind of lean in when the stories are told or when the points are made. But there's a lot of fruit when we actually stop and discipline ourselves to think about the actual scripture. And so I'm trying to cultivate this habit more in my life. So I'm gonna read this verse here out of Psalm 86, verse 11. It's one of my favorites, because it's simple, it's a prayer, it's something I can repeat often. It's a prayer of David. David says, teach me your way, O Lord, and I will walk in your truth. And just those first words, I love because, first of all, there's this humble prayer. Teach me your way, O Lord. And David had been walking with God for quite a while. may we have the humility to continue to pray that. And then he says, he makes a commitment, and I will walk in your truth. And then he says, give me an undivided heart that I might fear your name. What a prayer. Uh, a little while ago, I was out for a walk with my son Josh and, uh, about a month ago, and we were walking and we were, we were having a good time. And then all of a sudden I noticed he was quiet and that's unusual for my son Josh on a walk. He, he was very quiet and I said, Josh, something wrong. And he, he actually was annoyed at me, which is hard to believe, but he all of a sudden said, you know what dad, you're, you're veering all over the place on this walk. He said, you're knocking me off the sidewalk. And sure enough, I looked behind me and I, I looked at my footsteps in the snow and I noticed I had been all over the place. And I've always had this problem, I'm, I'm a reflector. So when I'm out walking, I don't pay attention to my surroundings or how I'm walking. And so I just kind of laughed it off. And I said to Josh, you know what? We're both guys with big muscles. There's not enough room on the sidewalk for us anyways. And and that got him laughing because he's got big muscles, I don't. But I continued to walk and and on walks, what I often do is I actually start to meditate on verses I've memorized. And I began to think of that image of of me not being able to walk straight. And I, I began to pray this passage. I began to say, Lord, May I not drift spiritually. I wanna walk on your straight paths. And if you're listening this morning or if you listen later on, I hope that's the cry of your heart as well to to actually walk in God's ways, in his truth. And I just wanna admit this morning, this is not always easy. It is easy to drift. It is easy to veer off the path. About 10 days ago, I was in a grocery store, and it was very quiet in there, and my daughter and I, we ended up going to the cashier and, and to get our groceries, go through the line, and, and then just pay for the groceries. And I had made a commitment a number of years ago that whenever I was in public, that I was going to make sure that people were first, the errand was second. Uh, this commitment had come, you know, after reading the Gospels, I had noticed that Jesus when he was in public always had time for people, even though he was very focused on discipling his 12. So this was a commitment I had made and you've probably made many commitments and vows as well. And so this is an important commitment to me, but I was standing there and I I looked behind me and there was nobody else in the line. And This was an incredible opportunity to actually bless the cashier in some way and to minister to her. Everything in me wanted to get home as soon as possible. I was like, I'm a homebody. I'm an introvert. Uh, my job with Church Renewal re- requires meeting with people a lot. By the time I go grocery shopping, I'm ready to get the groceries and get out of there. But I remembered my commitment. I remembered my commitment. And though this pull was strong, I ended up having the opportunity to share a little bit of my testimony with her. And, and uh, blessing her and encouraging her. But I tell you, the pull to drift from my commitments is strong, as strong as probably anyone else. So why do I say this in the context of prayer and fasting? Well, in this month, I want to say that this month of prayer and fasting is a gift to us because it's precisely that kind of habit, the habit of prayer, the habit of fasting. It's that kind of habit that helps us refocus. When we're tempted to drift, prayer and fasting are like an anchor that even though we begin to to veer a little bit, the anchor suddenly holds. So I'm so thankful for this kind of month where we focus and then I've learned in my own life as I've done this for many years now, I've learned that when I do it for one month, then all of a sudden it has a ripple effect into the rest of the year. It creates new habits in my life. David said in Psalm 139, verse 23, 24, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. There's that imagery again of a a way everlasting, this, this way to walk. And it's not a coincidence that David recognizes that it's in the context of prayer that is, anxious thoughts are tested. You know, often I, you know, at the end of the day, I like to check, you know, certain news sites and just kind of scroll through a brief glance, make sure I haven't missed any world wars or anything like that. And, and I, I just, it's amazing what you can re- learn from headlines. But I've learned that doing that never shows me my offensive ways. I've learned that being on the internet has never helped me become less anxious. It's only in the context of prayer. This has been a gift to our family as well. You know, when we had kids years ago, we really just, we, we were just so desperate, like God, we don't know what we're doing. Uh, like there's books, but each kid's so unique. And there was, a, there was a statement in Jeremiah 32, 39 that I began to pray for our family. And that statement is, I will give them singleness of heart and action so that they will always fear me for their own good and the good of their children after them. That's the heart of God for every family, a singleness of heart and action for God. So I began to pray that. I began to pray that over our family. And, you know, there's times where it, we don't do well with this. We're stressed or distracted or we're in conflict with one another. I mean, my son Josh and I, we get along very well, but there's times we just, we're both stubborn and we both kind of think we're smart and, and, you know, it was good when he was four and I could kind of use logic and now it doesn't work anymore. And So what do we do? How do we get refocused again? How do we make sure we end up in unity? How do we make sure that we aren't just a family that gets by, but a family that can serve. It's prayer and fasting. I'm so glad our kids were able to grow up in a place where they were encouraged in these kind of habits. So I say the, that prayer and fasting are important for walking in God's ways. But here's the reality, and we all know this, prayer can be a deep struggle. I've been in ministry now 20 years. It's hard to even say that. I still remember God calling me in the ministry. I said, Lord, are you sure? Like, what? and I still say that often. But 20 years is a long time, and, and I don't know what it is. Again, as an introvert, I, I marvel. I know thousands of believers, partly, you know, through coming to Southam. But also, now in Church Renewal, I get to know many, many other people. And I would say the vast majority desire a stronger prayer life. I would also say that the majority say that they struggle with prayer. So what I'm gonna preach on this morning and next week is just a little mini-series called Wrestling with the Difficulty of Prayer. And we're just gonna look at two questions this week and two questions next week. And I hope they can spur you on to pray more. And if you've kind of given up on praying more and fasting more, let me encourage you that it's possible to grow in this. I'm a task oriented driven person who doesn't really like waiting and i've learned to pray a lot more so let me pray before we go into the first question lord jesus may we grow in this privilege of prayer and fasting may we grow in fearing your name may we fear your name by responding to this message with an increase in prayer. Jesus, we're sorry for when we make commitments that we don't follow through on. So Jesus, work in our hearts. I know what it's like to sit at home and listen to a message. It's easy to drift off. Lord, we choose to soften our hearts and engage and lean in. Holy Spirit, you speak through my words, however inadequate they might be. In Jesus' name, amen. So the first question I want to talk about here is, does our behavior impact our prayer life? Uh, This is maybe a question you haven't heard preached on before about prayer, or specifically this question, and I think it's an important one, and and I'll share why as we go along here. Our daughter Ashley, when she was six years old, um, we we were home alone, and I made some lunch for her, and she wasn't coming to the table. And so I called her, Ashley, lunch is ready. And then she still didn't come. And then, Ashley, lunch is ready. And she still wasn't coming. And so then I went on the hunt to find her. And I was, to be honest, a bit frustrated. I'm like, Ashley, lunch is getting cold. You know, I'm, I'm walking around the house and I found her and I s- said, Ashley, why don't you come for lunch? I made this lunch for you. You know, the parent talk kind of like, I've sacrificed greatly to make this food. And it probably was mac and cheese or something like that. <laughs> but you play it up, right? And she said, Dad, I can't come to the table. I said, why not? I've been grumpy today. I don't deserve to eat. And I'm like, I thought, wow. Well, Praise God for a sensitive conscience. I mean, I mean, our son—he'd op- be the opposite um, <laughs> of that. He, he, he's like me. He, he would. Somebody would have to tell him that. You know, you've been, you've been grumpy today. Like, stop it. <laughs> and and so I looked up, I looked at Ashley and I said to her, "You know, are you giving yourself a timeout? Yep, I deserve a timeout. And you know what I said to her? I said." I'd be very thin if I punished myself every time I was grumpy or complained. I love you, Ashley, and I love spending time with you. You can come to the table. Now I tell that story because what she was tempted to do there is similar to what many believers are tempted to do, to put themselves in a spiritual timeout when they sin or misbehave. But this is a huge problem because then our prayer lives actually shrivel up. It's what I call a lethal combination punch. Sin, hide. Sin more, hide. It's exactly what Adam and Eve were tempted to do. In fact, they did do. As soon as they sinned, they hid. And we see the mercy of God even at that point by giving them a cover, covering when they were shameful about their nakedness only after sin. It's double trouble when we, respond to, when we respond to our sin by then withdrawing from God's presence. This isn't what we're to do. In fact, I wanna, I wanna suggest this. It's in his presence and in prayer that we get the power to be different. It's a trick of the enemy to tell us and to whisper into our ears, you need to take a break from your time with God because you failed. But that's not the message of the New Testament, not at all. Hebrews 4.16 says, "'Let us then approach the throne of grace.'" Picture that, a throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. This is an invitation from the Holy Spirit. When we've sinned, when we've failed, We don't hide. We don't run away from God. We run to God. And it's not just about moving to a place of neutral. It's actually moving to a spirit-filled life. Now, maybe you have an objection. Maybe you think, oh, you don't know how much I've sinned, Chris, or I got this kind of sin, or I'm hard-hearted, or I'm slow-hearted, or I mean, I've made these kinds of excuses before, but But let's look at another passage here. Paul in Ephesians 3.12 says, in him, it's talking about Jesus there, in him and through faith in him, we may approach God, there's this word again, with freedom and confidence. We approach God based on Jesus' goodness, not our own. That is an important statement to remember. In fact, I would suggest that the more religious a community is in its history, the more likely it is that believers put themselves in spiritual timeouts when they've made a mistake or sinned. But we don't have to do this. Now, some of you may be asking right now, you're thinking, but doesn't our sin have an impact? It does, and I'll get to that in a moment. But we don't want to talk about the impact that sin has on our prayer lives until we firmly establish that the foundation of salvation is by grace. A number of years ago, I wanted to increase my uh, credit card limit. Uh, we were going on a mission trip and we were helping cover some costs uh, before we got reimbursed, and so we had to bump up our credit card limit. And so I phoned the company and, and uh, went through, you know, that whole thing, press two, and then you wait and press four. Really hard for my personality to go through that process. Then you try to press zero, because sometimes zero gets you right to the customer service person, but that didn't work in this case. So finally I got to somebody and said, I want to increase my credit card limit. And they said, well, just a moment, sir. A long pause. And, and I just, I sat there thinking, well, well, this should be an easy decision. I think we pay off our credit card normally. I mean, I don't have much of an imagination, but my imagination started to go, I thought, am I in trouble, like what's going on here? I just thought, I'm gonna have to explain to Carolyn, they actually denied, like our credit card's gone completely. I have no idea why I was thinking all that, but, you know, it seems interesting what idleness does. And finally, they came back on the line, and it wasn't a very friendly customer service rep. They just gave me, you know, this statement, and actually, I appreciate it. The call was over quick then. They said, you standing, sir, with us is sufficient. I thought, well, that's a good thing. And then I said, does that mean my limit's going up? "Yep, yeah, it's fine. Your standing with us, sir, is sufficient. Brother and sister, because of what Jesus did, our standing with the Father is sufficient to go to him in prayer and to keep going and to go again and again. And you might say, but again, I sinned. But you know what? What kind of game are we playing with that thinking? How many times, like, would two sins be okay then we could go in his presence? Or is it eight? Or is it, like, do you see where, like, it would be never ending. He knows we need his presence and his power. That's why he made a way. Romans 5, 1 and 2 says, We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. We can stand in his presence because of what Jesus did. So what's the implications of this? Whenever I read a book now, or I read a passage of Scripture, or I listen to a sermon, I've cultivated this habit now of I ask myself, so what? What now? I I realize I want to be an obedient follower of Jesus, so I've learned to ask, so what? So what? So he's made this way. What does that mean for us? And I'm going to make a suggestion here. Because of this, we can go boldly into his presence. Boldly boldly into his presence with a grateful heart for his mercy. With a grateful heart. Now some of you may not struggle with what I've been talking about here. You might go to his presence, but this is another question, and we're not going to spend time on this, but is it with a grateful heart? Often now when I go to prayer, genuinely I say with deep sincerity in my heart, thank you Jesus that I can even come to you and talk to you, and I can just jump into your presence. I praise you for that, Jesus. So we should be grateful, but we should be bold. And then, connected to this, encourage others to go boldly. We're to spur each other on. If you see a brother or sister and they're feeling down because they've failed or they sinned in some way, encourage them, listen to their confession. That's all important but then go boldly together into the presence of Jesus. So my question this morning for us is, do we take advantage of this way that has been made for us? Do we go boldly? Do we ask? Do we keep asking? I want to use an example of a a couple that really understands this, and it's a little bit of an opportunity to give an update. Emmanuel and Angela Davis, many of you know them. We commissioned them as a church church as they headed off to Liberia in West Africa to do missions. And I talked to them every two or three weeks um, online. And I asked them for a bit of an update. But the reason I asked them for an update this weekend is because Emmanuel and Angela have modeled this of going boldly. You know, Emmanuel often said to me when he was in school ministers, he said, oh, Chris, I, I, don't, have much, I don't have much talent. And I said, oh, Emmanuel, you're so blessed then if you don't have much talent. He's so blessed. And he learned how to go boldly in God's presence, even while he was in school ministers. While he was working, he would often get up so early in the morning to boldly go in God's presence. So uh, they gave me some updates on prayers God has answered. So, so I'm just going to list some of them off here, read these off here. We thank God that he's given health for our family during our time here. There's many diseases in Liberia possible threats to their health, they've been healthy. We praise God, people we are ministering to are growing in the relationship with Christ and implementing church renewal principles. God has provided all our financial needs. There's been times where they've been down to very little and God has come through. I mean, I, I keep hearing their story, it's book worthy stuff, but why is it book worthy stuff? It's because they understand they can go boldly into God's presence. We thank God for directing us to the location that He wanted us to establish our ministry. He provided land for us to build a home and financial blessings to get our house started. They're in the process of building a place that will serve as a ministry center for many years to come. He has provided friends for us here in Liberia. Ministry can be lonely, especially in the mission field. A young adult has joined to serve us. Her name is actually Tracy Papam. Some in our church would know who she is. She got there, I think now two, three weeks ago, and she's decided to serve for three months out in Liberia with them and helping them out with their kids. We thank God for opportunities to share the gospel and watch lives get changed. We thank God for the opportunity for self-sustainability projects, to employ people in our ministry. They have a sewing ministry going on. Now, I'm gonna say this, I've read many, many biographies. I've read many stories. I pay attention to what's going on in the Christian world. And I know many missionaries. Emmanuel and Angela have been very, very fruitful for a two and a half year period. It's because they go boldly into the presence of God. That's why they're generating the fruit. So church, let's take advantage of the way made. Now, let me address now this part, but does our behavior impact our prayer lives at all? And of course the answer is, well, yes. You know, a lot of people don't like when the answer is, well, yes, it does, but not, it doesn't, we still can go in his presence. Many struggle with kind of that both end side, but it's really important that we stay in balance here. Psalm 66:18. I memorized this years ago because I needed to memorize it. If I cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. If we cherish sin in our heart, it affects the answers to our prayer, undoubtedly. Yeah, we can go into his presence for sure, boldly. But if we're not dealing with a sin in our lives, it says clearly in the Bible that the Lord will not listen. And now of course we know he still hears our prayer. But it's like when you're, you're on a cell phone call and and the connection is not good. I, I was talking to a guy out in uh, Eastern Canada a couple days ago, and we, I called him on his cell phone and the connection was bad, so we switched over to WhatsApp so he could use his Wi-Fi. The connection was bad. Connect, we went over to Landline. Finally, we were able to, to talk. You know, that that interference where you can't... You, you, things aren't getting through. That's what sin's like in our prayer lives. Now, I just want to... Address kind of a little bit of a protest here that some might have. They say, Chris, you read that verse there, but it's in the Old Testament. The cross took care of it, and obviously, I believe the cross accomplished much. I just told you that it made a way for us to go boldly. But let me say this the cross changed much, but it didn't change who God is. As we acknowledge the differences between the Old and New Testament, we still have to make sure that we do not change who God is. We can't change who God is, but present a different type of God. He still takes sin seriously in our lives. 1 Peter 3.12, just one verse of many I could have shared. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Because God is holy, when we do evil, it affects our prayer lives. And I'm not going to repeat what I said in October when I preached. I believe it was October. But we we do have to make sure that we define evil in the same way that God would define evil. Last Saturday, I was getting ready for the day. Uh, We were having an online step free retreat for church renewal. And I was praying for favor. I said, Lord, give us favor today. Work in the lives of those coming to the, to the retreat. Lord, give me strength. Help me not to miss any details. I mean, there's so many prayers. But do you ever have it where you're praying and you're praying for favor, and all of a sudden it feels like, just like a marriage conflict. It feels like there's something not quite right. So I just got quiet as I was shaving. I said, Lord, what's up? He said, do you remember what you said this past week, Chris? Oh, yeah, that's right. He was convicting me. So I dealt with it. He began to whisper into my spirit saying, do you have godly sorrow right now, Chris? I'm like, no, God, I just want to move on quick. I want to finish shaving, get the breakfast, (laughs) and get to the retreat. Well, I forced myself to pause because I've learned that if I didn't deal with that, with godly sorrow, it would be like interference that day. Oh, God mercifully still would have worked, of course. But there may have been blessings missed and maybe even just blessings in my life. Did you know in Hebrews, I don't have this verse, it won't go up on the screen, but did you know that in Hebrews, it says that when we take sin lightly, it's insulting the spirit of grace? I mean, what a statement. I'm sure everyone's been insulted before. To be insulted is painful. I, I mean, always related. It's like being emotionally stabbed to be insulted. I'm sure everybody's been insulted. And then we hear in God's word that to take sin lightly is to insult the spirit of grace. In fact, the message of the New Testament is the greatness of Jesus's sacrifice makes Continuing, continuing sin in our lives even more scandalous. So let's not take sin lightly. Let's recognize that actually sin can impact our prayer lives. You know, there's this idea out there in popular Christianity, and I get it, it, it there's a lot of truth in it, but see, God favors me. And, and there's truth that in Christ we're favored. We, we've got so many benefits. And at the Step Free, they talked about that in the cross session. But there's a sense also that if we don't deal with our sin, some favor isn't forthcoming. Here's a statement that came to me yesterday. I liked it. Whether you like it or not, I'm not sure. I always say to my kids, you know, these statements I come up with, I say, oh, you should, you should remember that. And a- as if <laughs> my statements are good for them all the time. And, and they remember some of them and some they discard right away. And I think it's a good thing. But here's a statement. Jesus made a way, he is the way, so I need to be in his ways. He made a way, he is the way, so I need to be in his ways. So what's the balance here? We can always go into his presence because of Jesus, but we can also miss out on honoring him and glorifying him if we don't deal with the compromises in our life. First Timothy 3.13, remember I said before, that our standing is sufficient before the Father because of what Jesus did? That's true. I'm not taking that back. But 1 Timothy 3.13 says, Those who have served well gain an excellent standing and great assurance in their faith in Christ Jesus. Sometimes our prayers aren't answered because we don't ask. We don't go boldly. But sometimes... There's interference because we're not serving well, because we've compromised. I've been there many times. I just told you last Saturday, and that won't be the last time the Holy Spirit needs to convict me. In fact, even this past week, I'm part of a prayer group. We've been meeting every morning since December 1st. Somebody shared a a devotional at the start of the prayer time this past week, one of the mornings. It was so, it cut so to the heart I, I, I don't know if anybody in the prayer group knew this. We, we divided up into break room, breakout rooms after to actually pray. I left the call after the devotional because I was so cut to the heart over what the person said. I didn't know that I could actually get any words out and pray with others. I'm not done. <laughs> but I love getting cleaned up because then there's, you know, there's such a connection, and a fresh connection with Jesus. So what? Go to prayer with a repentant heart, aware of the scandal of compromise. If we understand this balance so we can go boldly, but that we need to go with a repentant heart, watch out for another level of a prayer life. Many have testified to this. And the last question I want to discuss this morning, the second one, and we won't take as much time on this, but I think it's important. Why should we engage in corporate prayer? We're in an individualistic world. Now, North America especially, but as I talk to people from around the world, North America is good at importing stuff, but we don't always import only good things. We're also importing individualism into a lot of cultures now. That's what I'm hearing from a lot of pastors in different countries. Now, during COVID, isn't it true though that our need for people has been highlighted? I mean, this is a a bit of a running joke, but. But even the, the strongest introverts have, have recognized they need people. And that's a good thing. That's a wonderful thing that we've recognized that. I was praying the other day. I said, Jesus, may our need for people that we've, we've seen now under COVID, may our need for people, may you seal that reality in our hearts so that when things get normal again, that we don't take for that for granted. But here's my question. Will we pray together when we can gather together. And I'm not just talking about when we can gather in the church walls, like for a prayer summit or something like that. Will we do that in our homes? Will we do that in our communities? Will we do that in our family units? Will we do that with our cell groups? Will we take advantage and engage in corporate prayer? Because corporate prayer, it's it's like an accelerator in some way. Again, I don't have to understand it all. You know, Path 3 has a really good lesson on the purposes of corporate prayer. I think there's 16 purposes, and, and it's really, really good. And, and I only have time to, to share one here, and, and I'm, we're just going to rely on the words of Jesus here for this part. Matthew 18, 19, and 20. Again, I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything you ask for, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. For where two or three come together in my name... There I am with them. Now, of course, there's a qualifier here coming in his name. I mean, that means to, to come, you know, praying for kingdom things to happen. It means praying for God to be glorified. We're not talking about being selfish here, but Jesus paused during his ministry and he clearly taught that something incredible happens when you get more than one believer together to pray corporately. And you know what, at some level, That should be enough for us. The words of Jesus should be enough of us, for enough for us to actually commit to corporate prayer. The New Testament church got this in Acts 2.42. They say, it says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Now don't get me wrong, I can't wait to see people in the lobby again, to visit, to talk about the weather even. I, I just, I can't wait for that. This morning I ran into one of the properties guys here in the, the building and just bless him for serving, you know. but I'm just like, just longing for conversation. I mean, it just was so good. I, I mean, I, I, after a while I did remind myself, that's right, I'm preaching this morning. But here's my question, again, when we can gather again, will prayer be the key part of it, the core part of it? I, I don't know, social media is not a good way to gauge things. I get that. But sometimes I'm concerned that in our loss of freedoms, the, the thing we're worried about losing the most is simply socializing. But brothers and sisters, we're called to be the church, and part of being the church is taking advantage of this the power of corporate prayer. And isn't it true that some things only get answered when we pray together? I had this happen again this month, early in January. Two brothers in Christ and I were praying for each other and I shared something that I've struggled with for seven years now. It's not necessarily a sin issue, it's just something I wanna grow in. And I prayed about it privately. Ever been like that where you pray about something privately and you, get, you just get exasperated because it's not happening. So I thought, well, I'll mention it to these guys and they can pray for me. I mean, (laughs) I wasn't even optimistic or full of faith or anything, which is, I I mean, I know the power of corporate prayer, but we forget what we know often, don't we? So they prayed for me. There has been incredible growth in that area since that prayer time. And I thought, why didn't I ask somebody else to pray for me before? We need corporate prayer. We absolutely need it. I'm going to read a couple of quotes here. Uh, I, I don't have them up on the screen because they're a little bit longer, but I'm, gonna, I'm just going to read them. And, and uh, if all of a sudden you want a copy of these quotes, just email me and I can send them to you. But I thought they were really good about corporate prayer. A uh, prayer was never meant to be a merely personal exercise with personal benefits, but a discipline that reminds us how we're personally responsible for others. I love that. It's a reminder that we belong as part of something bigger. A church that practices prayer is more than a church that learns. It's also a church that leans. I'm going to read that again. That one impacted me this week. A church that practices prayer is more than a church that learns. It's also a church that leans. We learn dependence by leaning on God together. Prayer is mentioned no less than 21 times in the book of Acts. Furthermore, these prayers are inherently corporate. Whenever prayer is mentioned, it overwhelmingly involves others. Another person said, a church is never more like the New Testament church than when it is praying. And a final quote here. A dynamic praying church must be built from the inside out, employing all four levels of prayer, the secret closet, Where we pray on our own the family altar where we pray as families small group praying and finally the congregational setting let me say this to pray alone makes a loud statement to only pray alone is to say i can do life alone and i don't need others and it's, even, it's actually even worse than that. And I've been convicted on this before, again, as an introvert. When we're choosing to withdraw from the body of Christ in prayer corporately, we're actually withdrawing from Jesus' body. That's why I use the word body of Christ. This isn't just a choice of saying, I don't know if I wanna to pray today. It's actually withdrawing from his very body. He used that imagery to teach us. And this is why I'm thankful. I'm thankful for this church and all the prayers over the years and the modeling of prayer. I'm thankful this morning that we were called to prayer again. I didn't know what Irv was going to say, I didn't know what Stefan was going to say. And I've made a commitment in my life if I'm going to be able to walk in Jesus' ways better. I will need to hang out with prayers. I need to hang out with people who will say, enough talking we've done now, Chris, let's pray. I love those kind of people. So I praise God this morning for prayer, church. I hope you can praise God for prayer as well. There are lots of situations in this world that are win-lose or lose-lose, but prayer is a win-win because Jesus is glorified when we pray and we will find blessings in our life. So may you meditate on these questions this week and may you grow in prayer. If you've had a bad prayer and fasting month so far and you feel like you've messed it up and you, it's been another year where you just, ah, you just didn't get to what you wanted to do, it's not too late to start praying. Remember, you can go boldly. Next week, I'm gonna look at two other questions. I'm gonna give you a little bit of a preview here. I'm gonna tell you what I'm gonna talk about. Preachers are often scared to do that. They wonder, will anybody come if I talk about that? But that's okay. It's actually a little bit easier when it's online. You don't know if people came or not. You just don't look at the number of views after. <laughs> but here's the questions that I'm gonna look at next week. Can we actually know God's will? Can we actually know his will? Because many stumble in prayer because of that. Can I even know his will? And the other question I'll look at next week is how can we pray longer and more often? it's possible to actually pray longer and more often. And I'll share with you about that next week. Thanks again for joining us for our weekend message. If you have any needs or prayer requests, please give us a call at 204-326-9020 or email myselfland.com. Once again, our phone number is 204-326-9020 and the email address is myselfland.com.